I'm Leanne and you are listening to From the Heart. I have resigned from my profession, which was midwifery, and I have decided to speak openly about why. Because having conversations has the power to change so many things. I hope that you have a great listen. Hello and welcome to a new episode with Dasha and Leanne. Um, today we have a very interesting subject. We're going to talk about um, deregulation and regulation of ph- pharmaceuticals in Canada. And specifically, um, what's really interesting is Leanne's experience as a former midwife in this topic, um, her journey, her take on what is happening right now in Canada and um, what consumers should really know. So we'll pass the microphone to Leanne and we're going to ask her a question. Leanne, whose responsibility is it really to safeguard the consumer who is consuming pharmaceuticals? Yeah, thanks, Dasha. I actually really loved that intro. Um, and I just want to say welcome back because we didn't Thank have you, you the other time. <laughs> um, so yeah, who whose responsibility is it um, to regulate pharmaceuticals that are coming into the country and what Canadians can use um, and what prescribers can prescribe? So... That is the job of Health Canada. That was its um, responsibility when it was formed. And right now, like I've said it before, but I just want to say it again, is that as a prescriber and as a consumer, we do not have access to any of the data that they put together. And the data is is, uh, actually compiled by the pharmaceutical companies. Really? Mm -hmm. So it's the pharmaceutical companies that compile the data for their own drugs. And what is the role of Health Canada then? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, the The role should should be to make sure that the drug is safe and using any kind of method to make sure that it's safe before it goes to the market. Right now, what we're seeing, this information comes from Michelle Brill-Edwards, who used to work uh, in Health Canada and she is saying that today 2022 her information um that right now maybe the drug works and maybe it's safe we don't know and there's a promise from um the pharmaceutical industry is that they're going to do more research however they don't continue to to do research when it's on the market the majority of the time so that's what we're looking at right now What's happened and what has led us to this, because when I went to school was 2005, when I graduated was 2010, it wasn't this bad. There were things that were not great. And I saw little bits and then it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And then the recommendations that were coming out of my mouth didn't feel right to me anymore. So recommendations for pharmaceuticals for your customers. Any use of it. So even induction and, but yeah, any (laughs) prescribing I, I've just, like you felt you didn't have enough information when you were prescribing. Is that, is I that started to prescribe less and less, and I went into looking for other solutions for my clients. Mm-hmm. And that's how I was dealing with with that. And then it just got to a point where I, I didn't um, believe in the recommendations I was making. Mm-hmm. Because you didn't have enough data and information and transparency from... Transparency, exactly. Mm-hmm. So even like the fact that it is the... Um, pharmaceutical companies that give funding to our guideline makers, our research, um, the fact that we don't have that transparency, 
um, that what I see in practice is not what I see in the research or what is told to me mm-hmm. really felt wrong. And I remember you saying that you actually love research and you actually love reading pages and pages and, and you were always up to date. So you're someone who actually takes great interest in the details of the information that's released. Is that correct? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. When I, yes. When I, so I have to say that with time that happened less and less because I because work was taking over so much. But when I did have the time, I loved to nerd out on that kind of stuff. And it's it's like I don't have I don't understand all the numbers as well, but I, I can read a research pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. So you're quite informed when you're talking about um, you know the, the the prescribing the whole process. You've really made quite the effort to really inform yes, yourself definitely. on the whole process. I've definitely made the effort. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what's happening now? And, and uh, Yeah, what's happening now is we are seeing what has happened after four decades of deregulation. Mm-hmm. The, um, the script, like what, what the deregulation is, is reduction or elimin- elimination of government power, which also is people power, right? Um, in a particular industry, usually enacted to create more competition. So that's what's happened with Health Canada over time. And I just want to give one example of what of what deregulation has looked like. Mm-hmm. My, the example where I got the most information happened in 2017, but it's, again, like I said, it's been happening for decades. So in 2017, Health Canada wanted to receive not only $99 million per year for the work that they do, plus tax, taxpayers' money, and they wanted to increase that to $140 million. And during that process, with um, the, um, the pro, what do you call it? The pro, the quid pro quo, um, what happened was that they wanted more drugs on the market than um, moved faster to the market to 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 give that money to Health Canada. Mm-hmm. So basically, the pharmaceutical companies wanted to see their uh, product on the market faster, and in return, they promised Health Canada more money, more revenue, yeah, yeah. more income. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was basically like an incentive for Health Canada to push the drugs through faster, which would probably cause problems in the process of really understanding what that drug is doing and side mm-hmm. effects and other things, right? Mm-hmm. And then that circles back to what you were saying about how it's really the responsibility of the pharmaceutical company to test the to continue testing the drug even after it's on the market, but there's no authority to maybe truly follow up, follow yeah. up on that. And it's already a conflict of interest to have the pharmaceutical company that makes the money mm-hmm. do the research. So there's, so there's no of, like in, alternative independent body that will retest. There's less and less because that's the job of what Health Canada was is supposed to do. Um, so in 2017, there was um, when they when they looked at what they were proposing and changes of re, re, um, regulating drugs. There were like there was a lot. There was removal of a lot of safeguards, which exempted um, Health Canada from meaningful oversight by anyone, Um, which is why now, so I don't know exactly when, but this is why we don't have access to the raw data or to any, like to just that, just to have that 
study or whatever they put together. Um, and I, I actually, from years back, I remember I was speaking to someone who said that the, the, um, they look at 60 people in a, in a research that they consider adequate. It's the 30 people who don't get the drug and 30 people who get the drug. And that's apparently adequate that's uh, very for small most, pool. most drugs. So like, obviously there's things that are even smaller because the problems that they are, um, trying to treat are, are so rare that sometimes the pool is even smaller. Maybe there's some larger ones. I'm not sure. Uh, but we, because we don't have access to the information. Exactly. And in 2017, this also came out um, that there was an audit at Health Canada that showed that less than 20% of the Health Canada staff received its mandatory ethics training and that most of the um, employees um, declared that it took too long to solve the conflicts of interest mm -hmm. that they had at hand. So there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lack there of what their mandate is. So what would the ethic, ethics training do for this staff? What, what would it help um, eliminate or what would it help make better? Well, I never, <laughs> like the ethics training would be just having safeguards in place and um, looking at conflicts of interest and dealing with them. Um, but now that the law keeps changing and there's less and less safeguards and the, the law keeps, this isn't this, like, I'm, I'm talking about what happened in 2017, but the laws keep changing even now. And the procedures and the processes. Yes, and the, exactly. And yeah. it keeps being deregulated, deregulated, deregulated. Mm -hmm. With yeah. the end goal of, of basically drugs entering the market faster. Yeah. So just in another example of another drug that's on the market that's not necessarily um, midwifery related, mm -hmm. that like cough syrups um, or cough medicine, um, there's two types of cough medicine that you can have. One is meant to suppress your cough and the other one is meant to actually make your cough more productive. Mm -hmm. And right now there is a product where the two are put together and then they, 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 they don't like, they can't work because they have, they have two different ways of working in the body. Mm -hmm. So they cancel each other out basically. And that's on the market. So it's another inefficient, like, uh, what do you, it's just another drug that's not efficient on the market. Just like how I feel about dialectin. I think dialectin should just be off the market completely. Um, because it's ineffective. It's a placebo. Um, if it does work. And so this drug needs to be looked at. We need to take, we need to look at the cough medicines. Every time that I have a cough, if I'm going to take that medication, I contact somebody and I say, which one is it that I'm supposed to take? Because I'm not going to, I don't want to take the combination one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not a lot of people know to even look for that. Um, the, the other thing, so I don't, I couldn't find what percentage Health Canada is funded by the pharmaceutical industry, but I did find it for the FDA and that's 65% of the FDA. So the, the, the budget, the mm -hmm. regulators in the United States, they are 65% um, funded by by the industry and then in the uk the mhra is 86 percent funded by 
um, the pharmaceutical um, industry. And in some countries, I'm not sure exactly where, uh, which ones, but in Europe, some of them are 100% funded. So there's a very big imbalance in the system. Well, yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. When it's profit driven, then the model becomes not sustainable, right? It becomes for the consumer necessarily. It becomes unethical. There's drugs on the market that that maybe shouldn't be. We're not looking at what is on the market before we put another drug on. We're not mm -hmm. looking um, how we don't even looking at how safe it is. And the injury from the drugs, like I think exactly. we're um, people are becoming more vocal on social media about mm -hmm. the the injury that they're suffering from drugs. And usually, like I've had a friend recently, and she suffered unfortunately drug injury and there's no really process of her giving that feedback and there's no yeah. really accountability and it, nobody really provides that accountability to her and it's yeah. just trying to fix what was broken and, and it's just becoming more and more broken yeah in her situation yeah mm -hmm. so right now this system relies on on prescribers who are burnt out Okay, I've, I've so been burnt out. So basically the midwives, to, the doctors. Yeah, the, the um, nurse practitioners, the, the dentists also mm -hmm. prescribe, all those people to actually put data together. But where do we do that? We're not paid for it. We, we don't really have training in looking at data either, the majority of us. So hold on, just to backtrack. So putting data together to give more accurate um, prescription? To or, give more in accurate information to the client that we're prescribing it for. Right. So like the side effects and yeah. the, okay, gotcha. Yeah. So even though we had a, a episode on how to advocate for yourself, one of the questions you could ask your healthcare providers, how long has it been on the market for the drug that you might be getting? And is there any data compiled since it's been on the market? And can you have access to it? If you like to look at that stuff, like if it would be me, can mm -hmm. I have access to it? Where can I get access to it? Mm -hmm. And that might be a very hard question for a prescriber to answer because I don't know that for all the things that I've prescribed, but it could get the prescriber to jog their brain and look for it and give you some insight about where they can, you could mm -hmm. look for it at least. Yeah, and I believe people, like especially in the last couple of years, people have really asked for a lot of transparency and, you know, not to bring anything controversial, but even with COVID, with vaccines, we've seen a big movement of people simply asking for more information and more transparency and perhaps not receiving the information that is requested. Yeah, so, that, so actually the movement with the COVID vaccine is actually what got me to open up my eyes to the bigger, larger problem because I had already seen bits before really? about lack of transparency and where I was dissatisfied with care that I was providing and recommendations that were given to me for me to make to my clients. And then um, like just the fact that we were putting mandates on people was like crazy because that's against midwifery. Midwifery is about autonomy and giving informed choice to clients. And, and um, the thing that breaks our hearts, like I'm going to look larger than just midwifery, but my, my friends who are physicians and nurses, like all we want to see, all we want to see and what lights us up and what makes us want to do more of what we do is see people like get better. We want to see the outcome and I'm a midwife. So I got to see birth and I got to see the good side and I deal with life most of the time, but I can't imagine like for a psychiatrist and 
and other people, like people who are in the ICU, like doctors who work in the ICU and nurses who work in, like all of those, they, and they don't, they don't get the follow-up that I have with my clients. And I have like six weeks postpartum care. I get to see the entire pregnancy, you know? And so, so I, I just can't imagine how devastating that is. And then when I- seeing the yeah. customers get better, but sometimes yeah. they can get worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. It's it's a big tragedy and it always seems like we are always running out of time, always running out of, um, you know, resources. And speaking about resources, so where does the dollars, you know, the, the pharmaceutical or the dollars to fund this come from? <laughs> That's a question that, so when I speak to this, to people quite passionately, um, people are like, well, where is money going to come from mm-hmm. if it's not going to come from the industry? And my, like, I just want everyone to step back, take a bigger, larger picture, zoom out. Mm-hmm. And like, we're... Um, so basically, hold on, just to backtrack. So mm-hmm. so we're saying is that where would the money come to fund Health Canada? Yeah. yeah. So if it's not pharmaceutical companies funding Health Canada, who will fund Health Canada? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my my answer is... To, to zoom out from that question mm-hmm. and to realize that every healthcare system in the entire world is bankrupt. So what we are doing is not working. So having this pharmaceutical first approach to medicine is bankrupting every system, no matter who's paying the bill, no matter if it's tax um, taxpayers, no matter if it's the individual, no matter if it's the insurances. And why is that? Because people are getting sicker and sicker and sicker. So like I, I, I said before, but I'm going to say it again. Um, millennials could, okay, so millennials are doing worse than the Gen Xers. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're seeing. So this is from 2017, again. Um, millennials could feasibly see mortality rates climb by more than 40% compared to the Gen Xers of, at the same age. So we're going to, we're already seeing more hypertension and um, high cholesterol and things like that, but also um, behavioral problems like depression and hyperactivity. And so what we're doing isn't helping. Like, So the not, whole system is creating sicker and sicker people, basically, exactly. right? Because of our culture. It's not because of the people that work in the mm-hmm. hospitals, but it's the system and our culture that need to change. And I know that thinking about culture change is really big. However, we're kind of at a point where we need to start talking about it quite seriously. And are we talking about here like diet, exercise, lifestyle preferences, that that kind of thing yes. that contributes? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it would be a change um, in looking at what truly helps. Mm-hmm. So looking at what truly helps is, right, we know that, and I think that a big pillar of what we need to see is, is building community. And so I said that the mortality rate is going to climb up by 40%, but that was in 2017. We've passed 2020 where after obesities, after like the rate of obesity has gone through the roof, poverty, extreme poverty has gone through the roof, mental health illness has gotten so severe, um, et cetera things I, I don't even know about as well, right? And so, and those are all like things that are um, impacted by loneliness. We've had to do the alone thing, like the the lockdowns. Mm-hmm. For the three years. For, yeah, two, mm-hmm. two, yeah, however long. And people have gotten more afraid of one another. 
Um, and so creating community again, which is something I'm going to talk about more. And it's all through James Maxwell's work that I really am appreciating. And I think he has a lot of um, solutions for us, um, but creating community. Um, so like putting the patients that have, let's say, diabetes all together and then reducing shame and seeing one another thrive um, and having more time with them because you have a bigger um, audience and so you don't have just 15 um, minutes with each person or even seven minutes with each person if you're the doctor treating them but you have you know maybe two hours because you have 12 patients in front of you or however you know mm -hmm. so um, um so creating differences in how we give care sometimes um and so that's a pillar but just creating we can create community ourselves creating community can look um different from person to person. And then what I was talking about in the last episode about the um, dealing with uh, pregnancy loss, I was saying reduce shame by talking about what's going on, see how not alone you are, and that you're not the cult, you're not the one, like you're not at fault for it, you know? So like creating community means different things and we can do that ourselves. Um, so that's like the, the a huge pillar. But the other thing is that we go from pharmaceutical-based medicine to uh, more functional medicine. So what works? What's the problem? Where does it come from? Which does mean more time from physicians, potentially, or physicians um, sending you to a health coach or someone who has more time or to the right resources that that, that client can understand. So there's different ways of doing things and there are different ways around the world that people are like trying to either create community or create more information and reduce shame and they are working mm -hmm. and create like, so that looks at, you know, looking at your sleep patterns, it's not just eating broccoli. <laughs> it's, um, and then creating um, purpose and community creates purpose. Mm -hmm. The reason why we want to do better for our own health is because we want to see our maybe our grandchildren live long and maybe like you know like so it creates a lot of um wanting to do better yeah for ourselves absolutely yeah so basically to you know summarize this um we are in an interesting environment where um people are getting sicker and sicker there's less and less transparency there's more and more profit driven models and in order to turn things around we really need to prioritize um things that have been around for thousands of years and which you know sounds very simple but also somehow it's complicated and at yeah. the core of it is community and at the core of it is people coming together sharing information sharing food um supporting one another and yeah. having that you know full circle of life so to say <laughs> yeah coming back to to um something that we've had before that we don't have so much of right now and and seeing medicine through um like using medicine um not just the medication and not just surgery and not just uh, diagnostic tools or screening tools that we have mm -hmm. looking beyond that we still need some medications we still need some surgeries um but how can we because chronic illness is actually taking up over 80 percent of like everything that's going through the er right now 
it's taking up the space, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so how can we reduce and just even community build like community building has um, decreased just like like set like uh, put connecting people if they like sports connecting people with community groups that like sports and um, creating people going sending people off to um, religious groups or whatever like gardening groups like everything has reduced in a in a certain community a reduction after like something like three years it has reduced the amount of ER. Um, people coming into the ER by like, I think 20, maybe 30%. I can't, like, I don't ex- remember it precisely, but it reduced it quite significantly in three years and it has reduced the the cost mm-hmm. to all those visits um, because there was an ER doctor that noticed that people that were coming in were like often lonely. Mm-hmm. So we need to, we need to just kind of expand and look at different ways of, of treating things and looking at the person as a whole thing as a whole person so whose responsibility really is it at the end of the day is it the responsibility of the consumers is it the responsibility yeah. of the um, provide prescribers is it health canada is it the pharmaceutical um, companies or yeah. like you know just um at the end of the day to make the change and to make things better who needs to work together or apart or how does it all yeah so i think that the healthcare workers are too burnt out to even look at these solutions i think that anyone who cares needs to start having conversation at the dinner table and looking at research differently i think we need to just start the conversation i think that we need to take the onus on ourselves consumers. Mm-hmm. yeah and then but then like if like government workers so, um what do you call them politicians but i want to like like the politician themselves like as a human and then they can bring the work where they work and then like i'll talk to a midwife and then she can start doing that in her clinic and then you know like like it could start small like we don't have to wait for industries and corporations to have the solutions and that's like what we're doing right now is looking for bigger bigger entities to come up with these solutions but i think it just needs to be the person who cares who needs to start the conversation and then doing it for herself and then and then spreading that word you know i think that's where we need to go absolutely that sounds truly beautiful what other sort of takeaways would you like to leave with um our listeners in the last couple of minutes you Um, know what what is super important to you to give to our listeners to think about to go home with as a former midwife as somebody who's been in the trenches for a very long time oh my goodness um i don't know if i have anything else to say <laughs> like for well, this episode <laughs> yeah, yeah. well that's also an amazing thing and just to i guess emphasize again and again that this podcast is your resource um for all things that are um, concerning to in general. <laughs> They're just information I want to relate to people. Yes. They're just things that I want people to know. So, and then if more people know, then there'll be more solutions and there'll be bigger, com- there'll be bigger discussions and there'll be more of incentive to put pressure on things where we can actually make change and we can make the change ourselves in our own lives. We can take charge of our own health and our own bodies. That's incredible. Yeah. And where, um, you know, even this podcast is actually creating a community of people. So where can people actually find 
this podcast? Like, is there an Instagram page? Is there? Yeah, there's the Instagram page right now and Spotify. And I haven't figured out where else to post things right now. Okay. But you're slowly building that community around the podcast, right? Yeah. And people can join and give feedback and ask questions and maybe even yes. give some food for thought for next episodes and what you'd like to learn from Leanne and just her journey and um, what she's seen working as a midwife in Canada, in Ottawa, and actually internationally too, right? Like you've some, yeah. some, some international experience as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you can make my brain... Um, if you can jog my memory by giving me some feedback and some questions, it actually, it makes me want to create more. So, um, do that. (laughs) Contact me. (laughs) Contact Leanne, contact the podcast. Yeah. Like, and share, of course. Um, and, uh, we will be more than happy to, uh, get back on here and inform you and provide all the good information. Yeah. Thank you. I just wanted to add to this episode after re-listening to it, I just wanted to give um, more accurate information around um, that physician who saw loneliness as a very common cause of clients coming in to seek her care or his care, I'm not sure. And um, the outcome of it was that after three years of community building, they saw a 20% a reduction in uh, people coming to the ER, which saved th- uh, three million pounds per year. If you want to learn more about that, you just Google Froom loneliness, and Froom is F R O M E, um, which is the name of the town. And I also wanted to add that. Dasha and I mentioned things around um, the lockdowns and COVID. And um, I just want to let everyone know that that feels extremely vulnerable for us to have mentioned that because we all know everyone's reactivity and uh, opinions on that. I will say, I'm speaking only for myself, that... What I saw in 2021, when they put in the mandates, after we had been running around like chickens with our heads cut off in the hospital and in the community and in our clinics and working for people and working more during those years, um, it felt terrible to see colleagues nurses, physicians, um, midwives, and the cleaners in our hospital who we absolutely need, um, and and everyone else who may not give one-on-one care, but seeing those people have to leave after we had been so run down was definitely something that weighed heavy on me. And seeing that people had a really hard time speaking up about that. I don't know anyone who did publicly. Um, And so anyways, I'll leave it at that. The other thing is, is I've had a discussion with some of my friends who say, well, aren't you afraid of being sued? Um, for saying the things that I say. First of all, no, because I am 
speaking about stuff that is already uh, mentioned in articles. Uh, it's already published. It's already in the media. You can already search it. Second of all, my no is because we also live in a democracy. And a democracy means that we are responsible for what is happening in our country. We are responsible for our silence as well. And I want to read this because I wrote this when I told everyone I had left the profession. After a lot of contemplation and a heavy heart, I've decided to leave midwifery entirely at the age of 36. My passion is still birth and everything related. The reason I left is the reason I started and the reason I started is the client. I left because I could not choose a career over my client. And I go on about things that I discuss in the podcast in more detail. And then I go on and say, a lot of systems like midwifery and healthcare are crumbling. Chaos is what initiates change. We are being asked to update and create new systems. The conversation needs to start now. If I quit quietly, I am just choosing a career over a client. The solutions are right here. A culture change must happen and it will. How much more chaos are we willing to endure? The other thing is, is I believe it's already the law, but I haven't looked it up. I believe it's already the law. And if it's not the law, then it needs to become the law. And who has the power to do that? It's us, people. Intellectual property cannot become more important than human safety and health. That's not an option. Health Canada is in service to us, not the opposite. As a midwife, I was not in service to Health Canada. I should never have been. And I'm not in service to, to the industries that profit off the care that I give to my clients. I am not in service to that. I am in service to my client. And having research funded heavily by the industries that profit from those research and the outcomes of those researches, having associations like the SOGC, for example, that have funding from the industries, etc., right? Having the regulators that have funding from these industries. If you look at humans and how we behave, wherever we get our money from, we change our behavior to keep our job. We change our behavior to keep our finances coming. And we, sh we shut our mouths. And I just, I can't, I can't wrap my head around doing that.
And this is this is someone's opinions. This is I'm going back to diclectin here, which I had said is a placebo. And the doctor who um, put out this information about diclectin for all of us to see, he says prescribers are the ones who are responsible for digesting clinical evidence and making recommendations, not regulators. Health Canada should never keep that information from clinicians. I believe in the last sentence here. I also, when it comes to digesting clinical evidence and making recommendations, I I think that we need to um, change how that is digested and put together when it comes to associations and um, research and like who, who, like all of that. And we need to focus more on service rather than profit because profit will come naturally if the service is good. And can we change the incentive of how Health Canada functions? There's like so many, so many ways we could look at this. And I'm not the one who's going to have all the answers here. I am the person who just wants to see change. And I am going to speak about these problems. If I have an idea of how we can change it, we can't. We like, I'll say it. Um, but when it comes to Health Canada, could there be an incentive on how well um, the outcomes were after the, the, the drug was on the market, for example? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But we need to have that discussion. And... And um, yeah, I hope that this was informative and um, I will put a lot of resources in the show notes um, just because I've said a lot of things um, that people might have questions about. And um, if you are skeptical, skepti if you have some skepticism around what I've said, I want you absolutely to look into that. I appreciate skepticism it's really good to have questions and i encourage you to question what i have said and look deeper into it thank you for listening to this emotionally charged episode uh, we hope that you found it valuable and eye-opening um, you can share it with someone that you think could benefit from it stay tuned and happy holidays